And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this tax was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of, and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in, a, in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is called Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praying, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the, the saying which was told them concerning this child. And, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then, he t then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. 
Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that insight, I'm sorry, and she coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You may take your seats. Good morning. Please join me in, excuse me, please join me in prayer. Father, I pray you would bring your word for us today. We may be encouraged, challenged to walk with you by faith. We thank you for every portion of your word. You have a purpose for it. And we pray, Father, that you would accomplish your purpose this morning in our lives, in our hearts and minds, as we study your word. Jesus' name, amen. For the last four weeks, we have been looking at the advent of Christ through the eyes of several writers of Scripture. First, from the writings of Moses. We looked at the fall of the human race in Genesis 3. Adam, our forefather and representative head of the human race, had chosen to go his own way. Disobeying our Creator God, bringing sin and its consequences on the whole human race. But God had a plan right from the beginning. On this darkest day of human history, God Himself prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan who had deceived her. Though His plan was veiled in this obscure language at first, His promise was as sure as if it had already been carried out. In fact, it had been determined before the world began. Through several millennia following, God's plan was slowly revealed. Like a diamond, whose brilliance is slowly revealed, one facet at a time, by the steadily increasing light. In weeks two and three, we skipped ahead many centuries and many facets to hear from two Hebrew prophets, Isaiah and Micah, Though the nation of Israel as a whole rebelled against God through much of this time, there were some who loved and served God with a whole heart through those dark times. And God chose a few of them to bring his words to the people. We just heard from Kevin who read this morning how that is something that God always does. He reveals his plans, his word to the prophets. There were words of coming judgment at that time. Because God's righteous wrath would come upon Israel for their disobedience. 
But there were also words of coming salvation and a kingdom of righteousness because of the Lord's mercy and goodness. God would send the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the king of righteousness. As we considered the advent of Christ through the eyes of Isaiah, we heard several familiar prophecies of the coming Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But before that son would ascend the throne, he would be lifted up on a cross. Because like foolish sheep, every one of us has turned his own way, just like Adam. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Lord has laid on his own beloved Son the iniquity of us all. And so the anointed one of God would first come as the suffering servant, taking on our sins, suffering the just wrath of God for the sins of the world in his own body on the cross. Then through the prophecies of Micah, we heard that the righteous ruler, whose goings forth are from everlasting, would come out of Bethlehem. Through him, our merciful God would have compassion on us, subdue our iniquities, and cast our sins into the depths of the sea. He would stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The Holy Spirit inspired all these Old Testament prophets revealing truths and foretelling the advent of Christ with amazing depth of purpose and with intricate, sometimes mind-boggling detail, even while the prophets themselves struggled to understand the exact nature and meaning of what they had heard and written down. Then, in week four, we heard from John, an apostle of Christ, John began his gospel record by identifying Jesus as the eternal word of God and with profound words testified in chapter 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Many of the Old Testament prophecies were now fulfilled. The Christ, the Son of God, had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, fully God and fully man. Emmanuel, God with us. Then for most of his gospel record, John seemed to turn the microphone over to Jesus. Through conversation and interaction with both friend and foe, Jesus clearly identified himself as the Son of God the one who came to give us eternal life through his sacrificial death on the cross. 
Here's a summary of the claims of Jesus from Steve's sermon last Sunday. I am the true bread of heaven, from heaven, who gives life to the world. I am the light of the world, the light of life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. We have life in him, and as we abide in him, we bear much fruit for God. And finally, he identified himself as the great I am, the ever-living God. So truly, in the preceding four weeks, while looking at the advent of Christ through these several witnesses, we have received a bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that he came, but why he came, and what he accomplished. This gospel has been proclaimed through the witness of the writings of Moses, through the witness of the writings of Isaiah and Micah, and through the witness of John, who was especially focused on personally witnessing to the deity of Christ. In his own words, what he heard and saw and handled. And through John's eyes and ears, we have heard Jesus' own bold claims that he is the Son of God and that he came to lay down his life on the cross that we might have eternal life with him. John was very clear about his purpose for writing his gospel account. In John 20, verse 31, he said, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John was also very clear in another place. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, that believing in Jesus Christ is more than simply acknowledging that he lived, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day. Those verses say, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. When we truly believe, we walk. We live by faith. We live a life of obedience to his word because we are now his child. Maybe you have never heard the gospel message until now. Or perhaps you have heard the gospel many times. Sitting right here every Sunday morning. But the real question is, have you obeyed God and believed the gospel? Trusting in Christ alone to forgive you and cleanse you from your sin. Have you believed the witness of these God-breathed, God-preserved scriptures? The witness of the Word of God is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That only Jesus, the pure and holy Son of God, was qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. That He took our sins upon Himself, accepting the just penalty of that horrible death on a cross, that we may be forgiven. That faith in Jesus Christ alone is the only way, then, 
to receive forgiveness for sin and be reconciled to God. That without believing in Jesus Christ and receiving forgiveness of sin and eternal life through Him, you will pay for your sins yourself forever. You will be eternally separated from God, tormented in the eternal flames of hell. That is the only just payment for your sins that you can pay. In love and mercy, Jesus Christ has already paid the just payment for all our sins by his death on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice that satisfied God's justice once for all. If you will believe what he has said and receive his gracious gift of salvation, you can be saved today. He will give you eternal life, new life in Christ. I want to lift up a prayer. It's now for, for the hearers. Lord, you said in John chapter 12, verse 32, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Lord, you were lifted up on a Roman cross for our sins. Father, I pray now that you would draw sinners to Christ from among these here today. May your love and mercy in Christ be revealed to them now. Awaken in them, I pray, a response of true repentance and faith for your glory. Amen. The same Holy Spirit that revealed to Simeon and Anna who that little baby really was is the same Holy Spirit of God that reveals the truth about Christ to us, awakening our hearts to new life in Him. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God." Not of works, lest anyone should boast. When we have believed the word of God about Jesus Christ and received his gift of salvation, we not only receive forgiveness and are reconciled to God, we receive new life in Christ. We are a child of God. 1 John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. John 1 verse 12. We are awakened to spiritual things then. We have new desires. Old desires lose their shine. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things 
are new. The Holy Spirit is given to the child of God to help us lay aside old ways and learn to walk in newness of life in Christ. And we want to help one another grow in Christ. One way the Lord wants us to do that is to regularly meet together to worship Him and to be taught and encouraged from His written word, the Bible. That is why we're here today. May the Lord teach and encourage us now as we continue on and look at the advent of Christ seen through the eyes of Simeon and Anna from Luke's Gospel. In some ways, it may seem that we're considering Simeon and Anna out of order with the rest. This is certainly true chronologically, but it is also true with regard to God's progressive revelation of the purpose and full meaning of the advent of Christ. In this series, we have already heard from the prophets, and then from John, one of the apostles, and through John, from Jesus himself. Now we're going back to when Jesus was presented in the temple as a baby, with only Moses and the prophets before that. Did you note when you read the text for today's study and when you heard it read here again this morning that there was basically no new revelation concerning the advent of Christ? The things Simeon said are straight out of Isaiah from several places and Anna is not quoted at all. What is their contribution then? They announced not new revelation about the advent of Christ, but the joyful news that he has arrived. This baby boy, this one, is the Christ, the Redeemer of Israel. God has fulfilled his promise. The Messiah has come. It begs the question, though, why Simeon and Anna? Why were they chosen? to announce the arrival of Christ in the temple. Why not the high priest? Or other religious leaders? The simple answer is, Simeon and Anna exemplified men and women of faith. They believed in God, and they believed God, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Wasn't that the demonstration of their life? Diligently seeking him with faith. And because that was the nature of their faith, they hoped with expectancy, hungered and prayed for the fulfillment of the promise and waited with patient confidence. According to the Bible, The most important issue is the nature of one's faith, not what great things one accomplished. Hebrews chapter 11 underscores this, including men and women as examples, not so much because of their deeds, but because of the nature of their faith. We are called to follow good examples and be warned by bad examples. 
some references for that. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 1, and 1 Corinthians 10, 11. But especially, we are encouraged to follow the faith of those who have lived exemplary lives. Hebrews 13, 7, and especially Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 following Christ's example himself. And we are exhorted to consider the outcome of their lives. To really consider and appreciate the examples that Simeon and Anna are to us of deep and abiding faith in God and his promise. We need to understand the times in which they lived in a broader historical context. Between Malachi the last Old Testament prophet, and John the Baptist, the forerunner, announcing the coming of Christ. There were some 400 years of silence. Some refer to it as a famine of the word of God. I want to read Malachi 3, verses 16 and 17. And I want to encourage you too, be afterward. Go back and read Malachi and consider, especially verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditated on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. The preceding many verses in the prophecy of Malachi are in many ways hard to read. The words are cutting. It's as if God's people are just arguing and bickering with God. Right away he points out that they have no fear of him. So, those referred to in verse 16 are in contrast to that. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Most did not. The the nation as a whole is backslidden horribly. And this this is the last word from God for 400 years. And it's a bitter word. And yet, look at the hope for those who fear him. And look at what they did. They spoke to one another. They didn't stay isolated. They needed one another. They feared the Lord and they meditated on his name together. During those 400 years of silence, unknown to us, but known to God, Hundreds of men and women of faith were longing for the consolation of Israel. Because God is faithful, there was a remnant. A remnant of men and women of faith. Not nominal faith, but vibrant faith. Faith of the nature and quality of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks had predicted the time of the Messiah relative to the time of the building of the temple, which was itself a 
tumultuous time, as prophesied. Most of Israel, it seemed, at the time of Malachi and leading up to it, were distracted with seeking the best seats, places of political power, and the honor of men. In Simeon and Anna's day, in Jesus' day, most men could read the sky for a weather report, but could not read the signs of the times. Just as in Daniel's day, only a few, a remnant, were paying close attention. Only a few were men like the men of Issachar, spoken of in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. Men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We need more men like that in our day, don't we? Men? Are we men like that? In Simeon and Anna's day, those who were truly looking for and waiting expectantly for the Messiah were not distracted and disinterested. They were men of women of faith, not nominal faith, but vibrant faith, faith of the nature and quality of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, who were looking for a city not made with hands. They were looking, looking intently, eyes on the goal, straining toward the finish line, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, longing for the fulfillment of the promise. Hebrews 11 acknowledges that some experienced great deliverances and answers to prayer in their lifetime. Others experienced horrific torture and death at the hands of sinners. But as the last two verses of the chapter say, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Are we willing to live like that? Are we living like that? These, in Hebrews chapter 11, and the apostles... And those who faithfully follow their pattern of life are ones whose faith we are exhorted to imitate. Are you walking by faith and not by sight? Looking with the eyes of faith, not at what is seen, but what is unseen. What if there came another 400 years of the famine of the word of God in our time? How would you be living? Where would your focus be 20 years into it? 40 years into it? How would your children be living? Where would their focus be 20 years into it? 40 years into it? Now consider the 400 years of the famine of the word of God from Malachi to Simeon's day. Where did Simeon come from? Now God can raise up anyone anytime. We've seen that. Nothing is impossible for him. However, the testimony of his word is that he always preserves a remnant. 
Simeon had a father. Very likely had a father that made available the word of God to him. Near the end of the 400 years of silence, Simeon, nearing the end of his life, was waiting expectantly, still sharply focused. Let's look at verses 25 to 35 and consider the faith of Simeon and the outcome of his life. I would like to read just that passage again. Beginning with verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at all those, those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. some things to note in this passage to beginning. So Simeon was just and devout. Just toward his fellow man and devout toward God. And he was waiting. Not so much sitting down waiting for something to happen. He was looking. Seeking. Longing. He was longing for the consolation of Israel. See, Christ was not just bringing consolation. He was the consolation. And that's, that was the, the goal, the target that Simeon's eyes were on and had been on. The revelation of the Holy Spirit to him, the particular thing that the Lord said to Simeon, that he would preserve him and he would see that salvation. It came out of Simeon's seeking the Lord. His prayer, his longing for. In verse 26, when it says that, he had been re- that it had been revealed to him, this was, this was the Lord responding to his longing and perhaps maybe even a specific prayer. The word, literally, it was having been revealed, has the kind of the sense that it, it stood revealed. It's a distinct answer. And the verb 
means primarily to have dealings with or to consult or debate about business matters. It's kind of, in some senses, this is a little uh, odd or confusing. But as it applies to an oracle, it has a sense of giving a response to one consulting it. And that's the sense that this is used several times in the Word regarding how God would come to somebody and reveal something to him. Worn in a dream, Joseph, a couple of times. The wise men. But in particular, the example of Cornelius. Same word, same sense. In, in uh, Acts 10, verse 22, when God sent an angel to direct Cornelius to send for Peter, this was an answer to his prayers. So whether an answer to a specific prayer or a longing of the heart, the Lord went further <laughs> and, and made him a personal promise, which was his, it was his plan because God had a purpose for him. But that purpose, when carried out, was going to be a tremendous blessing for him. And it was. But after the Lord had revealed this plan to Simeon, his waiting took on a heightened sense of expectation and longing. As he continued to seek the Lord, praying for and desiring his coming, as promised, at just the right time, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to come to the temple court. And I want to contrast for a moment Simeon's attention to and longing for the promise of God through the prophets with the puffy-headed knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. The puffy-headed knowledge of the leaders of Israel in this time. The time into which Christ was born. The Jewish leaders were keeping the religious traditions and teachings going. But their hearts were stone cold and set on keeping their positions of honor and power religiously and politically. We noted two weeks ago that when Herod asked them where the Christ was to be born, they immediately had an answer. Bethlehem. Micah prophesied that. And yet they were apparently disinterested. Apparently, only the wise men went to Bethlehem. Surely, I just imagine that they had this attitude, the, the leaders. Surely, God would have told us first. Not a few pagan astrologers. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. How so? By unbelief. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The Jewish leaders knew the scriptures, but their knowledge was not mixed with faith. We should consider carefully how we approach scripture. We should hide God's word in our hearts and mix it with faith. Fathers and mothers, be especially careful here. While you read and memorize the word with your children, 
also work to set a deliberate example of having the word written on your hearts and mixed with faith. Simeon not only knew the promises of God, he had faith in God to fulfill them. And he walked out his faith. Consider then the outcome of his life of faith. When God led Simeon to the temple that day to fulfill his gracious promise to him, the outcome was blessing and joy and glory to God. What about Anna? In verses, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verses 6, 36 to 38. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Verse 36 identifies Anna as a prophetess. Now some have said, suggested that perhaps this was, she was being called this because she was married to a prophet. Now we don't know that. Some have suggested that she was just being an older woman doing a good job teaching younger women. She probably was. But I think we miss the mark if we, if we don't recognize that the scripture's testimony is that she was a prophetess. As a matter of fact, it specifies her lineage, which is common when identifying a prophet. Where does a prophet come from? That's important in the scriptures. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Simeon had no such lineage specified, for example. Do you remember how the rest of the Jewish leaders answered Nicodemus? When he cautioned them about the unlawfulness of judging Jesus without having heard from him, they cynically said, Look and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. You know where the tribe of Asher resides? Galilee. God had given his testimony. It seems really then that they didn't want to look. They didn't want to see. Because all along, there had been a prophet of Galilee right in their midst. She'd been in the temple fasting and praying for 84 years through a couple generations, perhaps through the fathers and grandfathers of those leaders. To them, she was just an old woman who would soon be out of the way, one last mouth to feed. But to God, she was precious. She was an honorable woman. She remained unmarried after her husband died, choosing instead to serve God faithfully in the temple for 84 years. The Lord had said, 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, Those who honor me, I will honor. The Lord is always true to his word. God honored this faithful widow, this faith-filled widow, putting his words in her mouth. 
Then, after 84 years, he brought her into the temple court at just the right time that she might proclaim the most glorious message from God she had ever spoken. Here is our long-awaited Messiah. Yes, this babe in arms is our Redeemer. What a joy that must have been to her. In verse 37, when it mentions that she was in the temple with fastings and prayers night and day, what had Anna been praying for all those years? The Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but is it hard to figure out? As soon as she saw Jesus, she immediately began to spread the word. This is who we've been waiting for. Yes, she was waiting and praying and longing that the Messiah would come. The Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the King of Israel. But first, He had to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to redeem us from the curse of sin by becoming cursed on our behalf. When she began to spread the word, she spoke of the Redeemer. In verse 38, when she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Think for a minute. How did she know who was looking for redemption in Jerusalem? For God's remnant, there is to be a pattern Malachi 3.16 Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. She knew all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna not only knew the promises of God, she had faith in God to fulfill them, and she walked out her faith. Consider then the outcome of her life of faith. When God led Anna into the temple court at just the right moment, the outcome was similar to Simeon's blessing and fullness of joy. And the Lord once again put his words in her mouth, the glorious announcement that the Messiah had come. I want to read a psalm, short passage. This is Psalm 91. Verses 14 through 16. It just seems to, to blend the, some of the verses in Malachi, verse 16 and 17. How God views those whose heart is set on him. Who fear him and meditate on his name. Verses 14 through 16. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I will, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God fulfilled that promise for Simeon and Anna. Both of them had feared the Lord and honored his name. The Lord blessed them. And honored them greatly, extending their lives, and best of all, showing them his salvation. The promised Messiah. 
I hope we have received much encouragement and challenge from considering the vibrant faith of Simeon and Anna as they waited and prayed expectantly for the promise of God, the first advent of Christ. But there is still more encouragement and challenge to receive from these two saints of old if we consider whether we are following their example of faith in regard to the second advent of Christ. Should we not be looking for the return of Christ with the same robust faith as Simeon and Anna demonstrated, the the faith that they demonstrated looking for the first advent? Are we waiting like they waited with hope, patience, longing, expectancy, faithfulness, without distractions, and without encumbrances? Are we encouraging one another to keep our lamps trimmed and ready? Do we speak to one another as the remnant did in Malachi 3.16 in order to stir up love and good works? When we meet together, let us encourage and exhort one another. As it says in Hebrews, all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's do so that we may stoke the fires of faith until he returns for us. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts by your spirit that you would stoke the fire of faith in our hearts. That we would lay aside things that hinder. That we would shun involvements for which we were not called as a soldier. That we would feed the fires of faith in our hearts. That we would walk out our faith. That it would be, first, primarily, a fire in our hearts, a love for you, fearing your name, meditating upon you. May in the secret closet of prayer would be drawn to you in humility, love, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to seek you first above all things, and then to walk that out with our fellow man, especially our fellow believer by our side where you have planted us, that we may encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your word and the instruction. Thank you for loving us as a heavenly father and as a good shepherd. Amen.